The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Introducing the s Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard, episode 25. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And Jose, a lot going on in sports. This really is one of my favorite times of the year. We're really close to the baseball season. The NBA, NHL getting closer to playoff times. What's going on with the NFL? The free agency has begun and erupted. We'll hopefully get into a lot of that with a lot of the quarterbacks. And of course, one of my favorite parts, it's March Madness. The bracket has begun. So first question, though, did you make a bracket this year? Yeah, I mean, I definitely did. Is it intact? Probably not. I mean, (laughs) we were just going through our brackets before the show. I already had four four of my slots already wrong especially with Arizona losing yesterday. Arizona I had going deeper. Um, I think a lot of people had Arizona going deeper into the playoffs than a lot of us would have thought, especially getting out in the first round. That's crazy. And, yeah, it's like you said, March is an exciting month. It's kind of just like October where it's like baseball season's ending. You have the World Series. Then you have the NFL and the NBA starting up and the NHL as well. March is almost the same thing. Baseball is getting started. The basketball playoffs are starting, like you said, the NHL playoffs. And then you have NFL free agency where so many people – have found new homes within the first opening days of NFL free agency. And we haven't even hit the draft yet, which is another exciting period in time coming up soon, too. And then you throw March Madness on top of this. And this is really what March Madness is all about. You know, watching these random teams, Buffalo State, or I don't even know who it was, Buffalo State, the Buffalo Bulls, kind of a ripoff of the Buffalo Bills. But, I mean, they come out of nowhere and they beat Arizona, who is one of the top schools in the country. That's what it's all about. And that's the most exciting part, actually, you know, honestly. I. I actually had Buffalo. I, I got two wrong, but this was probably my best bracket so far. I went 14 out of 16. Uh, and both of the two that I got wrong, I have the team uh, getting eliminated anyway in the second round. So it's not the end of the world for me. Uh, but I'm sure my bracket is going to go to hell by the end of today. Uh, we're recording the podcast Friday the 16th, so at like 10 in the morning. So eventually... The second day of the beginning round of uh, March Madness will begin in a couple hours, and that'll be exciting and disappointing for me, without a doubt. But I want to get into the MLB, because we're doing a lot of predictions right now with the MLB, and we're going to start with the American League, and then our next podcast will focus on the National League, but we'll take it right off with the AL East, and I want to start with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, You know, they're projected to have one of the worst starting pitching rotations in baseball, and Dylan Bundy is great and a nice prospect coming up, but that's the top pitcher they have going into this season. Already Zach Britton, 
star closer, one of the best relief pitchers in baseball, is on the 60-day day DL. He won't be back till the end of May at earliest. I think he's just starting to get out of a walking boot. Uh, so, Jose, this is going to be a real tough division for the Orioles. Is this ultimately a sell year in your mind for Baltimore? Well, I think it really depends on how Baltimore does, obviously, throughout the year. You know, sometimes Baltimore can be really surprising. There are years where, you know, you think they're not going to do well, and then they end up winning about, you know, 80 games worth um, in the season. Uh, you still got guys like Adam Jones. You still got guys like Manny Machado. You know, these guys can still swing the bat. They can still carry an offense. But, yeah, what you said is the, concern- the concerning part is the pitching. Now, the Orioles have never had star-studded pitching. That's always been one of their weaknesses, right? Um, their best rotation was when they had, like, Wen Yin Chen, and when they had all these other guys, but those guys are no longer here. They let those guys walk away for more money elsewhere. You know, they did a good thing by bringing uh, Jeremy Hellickson in last year for the second half of the year. Now, Jeremy Hellickson's still out there, um, but I doubt we're going to see reunion at this point with the Orioles. Um, it doesn't look like the Orioles retooled themselves properly rotation-wise to help them out this year, and they're going to need it because the AL East is always a really tough division. Um I know this year it's looking like it's going to be more of a two-team race, but still, if you want to compete, you got to have the pitching to handle the heavy hitters that come with this division. And there's plenty of heavy hitters in New York alone. Boston has some serious sluggers. Toronto can still swing the bat. Um, so you know you're looking at a division where pitching is going to be really key here. You know to hold these bats at bay at whatever team you're facing. If you don't have the proper starting pitching, I just don't see you surviving. Never mind the Zach Britton part. If you can't get the ball to the sixth inning. There's no point of having Zach Britton on your roster. Um, so they really didn't do a good job with retooling this rotation. It looks like they have a lot of faith in Dylan Bundy. It looks like they have a lot of faith in their young pitchers. And that's fine. But no matter what, you should still always have a veteran or two in that rotation as an insurance policy. There's still plenty of time to try and sign a guy like Alex Cobb, try to bring back a guy like Jeremy Hellickson. But I don't think the Orioles are inclined to do so because, like you said, this might be a selling year. So it doesn't look like the Orioles want to invest Um and some starting pitching just to see how this year goes when they know that they might have to either, one, save their money for a Manny Machado extension, or two, might be looking to trade Manny Machado. As for Zach Britton, yeah, that's a huge blow as well, too, because even if the Orioles get off to a hot start, how are you going to close these games? I don't know if the Orioles have too many options in the bullpen still, even without Zach Britton there. And again, you can't replace a guy that easily like Zach Britton, so that's going to be a tough blow, too. And again, it really depends how the Orioles do this year. I mean, if the Orioles are, are out of it, um, then they shouldn't hesitate to trade Manny Machado. I don't think Manny Machado's coming back. It doesn't sound like they're anywhere close to an extension. So I think the smart thing to do here for the Orioles is to trade them than to watch them walk away for nothing. Because even if you tie a draft pick to them, no matter what, um, you know, one draft pick is not going to equal the value of Manny Machado, even if it's a first-rounder stud, um, in my opinion. Manny Machado is a star, and you should get a good package back for him in return. And I don't think you can. I don't think you should be stingy here if you're the Orioles. Remember, they wouldn't. They wouldn't trade Machado in the offseason to anybody who would trade him to the Yankees. You can't do that if you're the Orioles this year. If the Yankees offer you the best package, which they might, because they have a lot of prospects, that's the where you need to trade him to. Then, you know, this is to me a sell year for Baltimore. Uh, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, I believe both of them are on their final year of their contracts. There's just no way Baltimore with an the lowest projected ERA is over four on this starting rotation. I, there's just nothing that streams anything good for this rotation. Uh, it's going to be a long year for Baltimore. And what's even worse is they have, like, I think, one day off in the entire like first 30 days uh, to start this season. 
And if there's a single like rain out, they're going to be rooting for it just to give their pitching a little bit more extra time because most start, most teams are going to start off with like a four man rotation within the first ten to like twelve days of the MLB season because by the time you have a couple days off, you know starting pitchers can go right back into it and you're only going with a four man rotation to start it out, but. Baltimore's firing it out right from the get-go. Five-man rotation, constantly have to go with starter after starter, and it's not going to benefit the team any better when you're talking about, what, you got the Yankees and Boston in the same division. Most of your players are free agents. You're, you know, you're learned on contract is with Chris Davis, and he's struggled immensely, and he's already hurt. You don't even really have an update on Chris Davis. They got a lot of good bullpen pieces. We see a lot of times bullpen players get traded towards the trade deadline because teams want to have great guys going into the postseason. This is a good year for Baltimore to finally say, hey, we have to start all over. We can do it very quickly if we make the right moves. And I think you can go that route if you're Baltimore. You saw the Yankees do it very quick and rebuild. Yes, they had a lot of prospects, but we've seen the Chicago White Sox do the same thing. They sold a little bit early, and they're trying to rebuild. The Orioles have to do the same exact trying away and trade a lot of these guys before the trade deadline. Because, like you said, uh, just throwing out that you know qualifying offer doesn't get you somewhere normally, especially when you talk about how much of a free agent market is going to be next season. It's real tough to see Baltimore it's selling at that part. Uh, the only interesting thing I think Baltimore did is. Uh, for the first month of the season, every parent who buys a regular-priced upper-debt seat can get two free tickets in the upper deck for their kids, nine and younger. So it's a nice promotion. It's going to run somewhat of month-to-month. It's going to give a lot of kids that are nine and younger free tickets. It, it, it's a good way to bring families to a ballpark. So I like the move Baltimore's making on that part because they're certainly not going to entertain when it comes to winning. <laughs> it's a far distance from that try. Uh, for their division rival, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, we saw them practically give up everybody before the season started. Evan Longoria, the team captain, is gone. Logan Morrison, who had over 30 home runs. Corey Dickerson got released. Uh, Jacob Alderosi was traded. Steven so- uh, Souza was traded to the Diamondbacks. So... It doesn't really seem like the smaller market teams are caving into these so-called super teams that we usually use nowadays in sports. But when you look at it, the American League is packed out with a couple super teams in the Yankees, Indians, Astros, the Dodgers, and the National League. So the Rays really just seem to give up on that, so to speak. Uh, but do you see that going around in a lot of baseball right now? I mean, I think you do. I think you see a lot of teams that certainly can't afford to have some star players kind of just giving in now to retool um, you know, to pay a cheaper price to get, you know, young talent and still a good amount of baseball talent back too as well. Um, I just think the Rays, it's always been a weird situation with them. They're always a team that can't generate a lot of revenue. Um, so, you know, this is what they do. This is not, this is nothing new for the Tampa Bay Rays. If this is a random team, let's say like the New York Mets to start giving away players because they can't take down the Nationals, then I'm like, yeah, this team's definitely caving in. But for the Rays, this has been status quo for the past, what, couple of years when I mean, we've seen it in the past. They can't afford players. They trade them away. Um, they're not going to generate a lot of revenue this year. They got to make money somehow. How do you do that by shedding payroll? Uh, I'm not saying it's a, it's a little weirder this year because yeah, Steven Souza wasn't going to make a crazy amount of money this year, and neither was Jake Odorizzi. 
or anybody else they traded. Longoria is still on a team-friendly contract from when he signed it way back in 08. But all for nothing, I think the Rays look at it and they say, hey, we're not going to catch the New York Yankees. We're not going to catch the Boston Red Sox. What's the point of going for it this year when we can use this year to retool and kind of pull a page out of the White Sox book? Because, you know, a lot of people like to talk crap about the Rays and what they did, but the Rays got back a lot of good stuff in return for these players. You know, it wasn't just a salary dump or a player dump where they just gave away players for free. They got back a lot of good talent within these trades. So I think the Rays are just trying to retool here to make sure they're competitive in the upcoming years so that way they know they can hang with the Red Sox. They know they can hang with the Yankees because right now they can't, even with who they had, and they know that. So I think the Rays played it smartly here um, you know, to give away their players at the right time. It's, it's sad to see. Uh, this is a, a team that we know are not going to spend the money in the offseason. And, and it's really said when it's like Corey Dickerson was only going to cost them a couple million. Steven Sosa was only going to cost them a couple million. Jake Odorossi was signed for uh, multiple years on that arbitration eligible type contract and only a couple million. Obviously, Evan Longoria is a little bit different and he needed to be traded. It's unfortunate to watch a captain go, but that um, 10 to 5 rule or 10 to 4 rule where if you're on uh, you're a 10-year player and you've been on the same team for four or five years. Uh, you're officially uh, gu- guaranteed all money and all different uh, – on no trade clause. So they had to trade him uh, for the fact to avoid that no trade clause dilemma on Evan Longoria. So that's why he had to go to the San Francisco Giants. But, you know, this is what we come to expect for Tampa. But we kind of saw that overall – in a lot of baseball when it comes to a lot of free agents. Uh, so it's it's not something new with Tampa. I think they really caved when you saw the Yankees and the Red Sox, and they just saw this as a year, hey, we got to completely rebuild. And they're slowly doing that with getting a new infield and outfield and trying to get even younger than what they already are. Uh, for the Blue Jays, though, they added a lot of depth. Uh, Curtis Granison, they added Randall Gerchick. They, they added some nice outfield pieces uh, to the season. But if you're the Blue Jays, you're looking at this, and I know you're trying to have the best foot forward and staying positive, but they're looking at it probably saying, we got to finish third in this division just for a second wild card spot possibility uh, because of how tough the division is right now. So are, are the Blue Jays out of it before it even starts in your mind? Yeah, to me, I think so. I, I think this is clearly a two-team race between the Yankees and Red Sox for the division. Now, does Toronto have a shot at a wild card spot? Maybe, because, you know, as we'll talk about in a little bit, the rest of the divisions don't really shake up too well. Um, so I think the Blue Jays still are a good team. You know, he's going to be a good defensive outfield. They did add Curtis Grandison. I'm interested in seeing what he has left in the tank, possibly as a DH role solely. Um, and, you know, and Josh Donaldson's still on this team along with Troy Tulowitzki, you know. Um, so I think you still have some power left in these bats. It's still a stadium that generates a lot of home runs, too. What always concerns me with Toronto is the starting pitching. Now, yes, you have Marcus Stroman and you have Aaron Sanchez. But after that, who else do you really have? And I find myself asking this question all the time when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays. Even when they were in contention for uh, a division crown, they never really addressed their pitching either, just like the Baltimore Orioles. And again, in the division where you're going to have to face the Yankees 18 times, you're going to have to face the Red Sox 18 times, you need pitching to control um, this division. And the Blue Jays just don't have that. And I also think they don't have the firepower. Even though they still have a good offense, I don't think it's enough to keep up with an offense like the Red Sox and the Yankees. 
also not a huge fan of the uh, the Blue Jays bullpen. Definitely not. You see, it's always a pitching when it comes down to Toronto. Now, sometimes they surprise you. I mean, there's been plenty of years where I say I just don't like the Blue Jays. I have them finishing third, and they'll finish in second or for a wild card spot. But if you're asking me to be a betting man, I'm not taking the Blue Jays. Yeah, it's just it's really tough when you're already projected to finish third. A lot has to go right for you to still be in for a wild card. And the Rockies are a great example. The Rockies were one of the best teams the entire season last year, but they were third in that division all year long, and they could just never get going on there. Uh, they they couldn't do anything against the Diamondbacks. They couldn't do anything against the Dodgers, and they had a nice luck a little bit to it that you know the rest of the National League East was terrible and the fact that the NL Central the Cubs didn't really take off to the very end of the season and they were mainly fighting for a division spot between the Brewers and the Cardinals so it's really rare to see three teams make it to the playoffs in one division especially in baseball Uh, and to ask the Blue Jays to do it it's just too hard for me to see that as a possibility for the Red Sox This was a team that just did not hit home runs last season. They added some serious power into the lineup by signing J.D. Martinez. But is it enough? After the Red Sox won the division, the Yankees really seem to have paid their way to run with this division. So have the Red Sox done enough to, so to speak, catch the Yankees? Well, I think they, I don't know about catching the Yankees, but they they definitely gave themselves enough to compete with the Yankees, in my opinion. I mean, the Red Sox were the team to beat last year. The Yankees were always looking up at them, right? Um, That's how we always felt. The Red Sox still have better starting pitching than the Yankees, in my opinion. Um, You know, the offense is still a good offense. Mookie Betts is still a great player. They they kept that outfield intact. There was a lot of rumors that they might trade Jackie Bradley Jr., but they decided to keep him, which I think is a good move. You still have Andrew Benatendi, who's still growing as a player. They re-signed Mitch Moreland. You still have Hanley Ramirez, who... You know, he looks like he's in better shape this spring. Maybe they can try and squeeze whatever's left of his career out of Ramirez and try and get something going out of him. Um, I'm interested in seeing Devers this year, a full season at third base. See how he he gets it going. Xander Bogarts. You know, this is still a really good offense, in my opinion, for the Red Sox. And they can definitely keep up with the Yankees. Now, I know the Yankees added a tremendous amount of power in Stanton, but I still think the Red Sox will be right there with them. This is going to be a two-team race. They're going to be jogging against each other all year long. And what's, what it's really going to come down to, and it's the only part of the Red Sox I don't like, and we'll talk about this when we get to the Yankees too, is the bullpen. Last year, the Red Sox bullpen was completely terrible. They couldn't finish games. They couldn't get the ball to Craig Kimbrell. And there was even times where Craig Kimbrell couldn't even close the game out. Remember, they traded. They overpaid for Addison Reed last year. And he wasn't even at, it, he wasn't even at his best. Um, so, and, and the Red Sox didn't really address that going into the offseason either. So to me, if you want to look at the Yankees and Red Sox and say, You know, where's the weak spot on this team? Yes, the Red Sox may have better starting pitching than the Yankees, but I look at that bullpen and say, I don't know if you can get the ball. Well, maybe not from Chris Sale, because Chris Sale can pitch eight innings and then give it to Craig Kimbrell. But for the rest of the guys in their rotation, I can't say the same, that you can get the ball from the starting pitcher to Craig Kimbrell um, and feel good about the lead. One of the uh, big question marks for me is going to be still David Price. I am Obviously, he was in the bullpen a lot uh, to end the season last year. Uh, with some elbow issues, but overall, I expect him to be a lot more healthy. I expect him to be able to pitch a lot more for the Red Sox. They're going to need actually him to be starting pitcher this season and not just a bullpen guy. Uh, I, I like the Red Sox starting pitching, but like I said, there, there's not much of a leeway when it gets to Craig Kimball. Uh, but 
ultimately, you know, this lineup just doesn't have the power that, you know, the Yankees hold. They're a contact hitting team, but they're overall just, in my mind, not going to be able to get it done. And they're still a playoff team. I think easily they're still a playoff team. I think easily they're a wild card team, a, a the first wild card team. But to ask them to catch the Yankees is going to be a real tough challenge because just everything's going to have to fall in the right direction. And one of those steps is going to be having to win games against the Yankees. And I just don't see that happening as well. And uh, Jose, uh, going from... You know, bottom top or top to bottom, however you rather. But give us your AL East uh, rankings of who's getting, who's winning the division, who's finishing fifth. Well, I'll start at the top first. I think the Yankees are going to win the AL East, um, and it's really not because they added Stanton. I know a lot of people are saying, "What? Are you crazy?" Yes, there's a tremendous amount of power that you just added in Stanton. There's going to be a lot of home runs hit, but you know what? There's also going to be going to be a lot of strikeouts too for this team. You know, between Judge and Stanton combined, you're going to have 400 strikeouts, easily, no doubt. I think each of these guys is going to strike out at least 200 times within the season. I'm you also have Gary Sanchez who can strike out. You're going to take the under on that? Yeah, uh, Stanton's not too much of a strikeout, not compared to Judge. Yeah, but, but you're still going to have a tremendous amount of strikeouts coming from this team. This team is a home run or nothing team most of the time, even without Stanton. Imagine once he gets there, too. Also, you know, you're going to have guys like Gary Sanchez who's still going to swing the bat and miss. Um, I'm interested to see what the Yankees do with the outfield situation. Does Clint Frazier get playing time? Does he get traded later on in the year? point is, though, is that I have the Yankees winning the division, not so much because of their offense, but because of their bullpen. Remember, they made that trade last year with the White Sox for um, for Kane Lee, uh, for Robertson. They still have Chapman. They still have guys like Chad Green. You know, so these guys are still in that bullpen. And this is the reason why the Yankees, to me, are one of the top teams in the American League in general, is because of that bullpen. Because they can go out and tell CC Sabathia, hey, CC, we don't need you to go six or seven innings, but you can easily go five and a third or give me six. And we'll give the ball to somebody in that bullpen. They'll take care of the rest. To me, that's the difference between the Yankees and the Red Sox. That the Yankees can tell their starting pitchers, hey, give me what you got. And then the bullpen will take care of the rest. As for the Red Sox, where they need to tell their starters, hey, go as long as you can so we can get the ball to Kimbrell. To me, that's the biggest difference in the world. And you're seeing it in baseball today. The bullpen has become such a strength. And so many teams are focusing on strengthening that bullpen. It's a new trend now in the MLB. Remember, the Kansas City Royals started that. They show that it works when you have more than one relief pitcher that you can get the ball to in a big spot. So to me, the Yankees definitely have the advantage in the entire division, if not the entire American League, in that category when it comes to that bullpen. So I have the Yankees taking first place in the AL East. Second place, I have the Boston Red Sox. Obviously, as you said, as we've been saying, I think this is going to be a two-team race. Uh, I think J.D. Martinez was an okay signing. I'm not in love with it. But the Red Sox wanted to feel like they had to sign him to keep up with the Yankees. I still like this Red Sox team. I think I still think they're a good hitting team. Alex Cora, his first year as the manager, we don't know what we're really going to get out of him, but I do have faith that he's going to be a good manager this year for the Red Sox. I think David Price bounces back. He may not be the David Price of old, but I still think David Price still has plenty of left in the tank to help the Red Sox get in second place. And if not, um, I think the Red Sox will end up with a wild card spot as well anyway. So in third place, I have the Toronto Blue Jays. Again, they're not terrible, but they're not good enough to keep up with the Red Sox and Yankees. So that kind of leaves them in a sitting duck position as a lame duck, really, you know, you're kind of just sitting in the middle of the pack, and that's where they're going to end up being. Um, I think for the Blue Jays, they're going to be confused this year whether they should sell or buy at the deadline. I think the Blue Jays really should just stay in pack and see what they could do in the offseason and try and add some pieces through there. Um, fourth place, I have the Baltimore Orioles. Um, you know, it's going to be between them and the Rays finishing for the last spot. These two teams really have no one. Um, but I just don't see that even though the Orioles should trade away pieces, I don't see them trading Manny Machado. 
I don't see them trading Adam Jones unless they're in dead last with the worst record. So I think the Orioles will hang on to those two and they'll win enough games to end up in fourth place. And then in fifth place, have Tampa Bay Rays. Again, they traded away a bulk of their great players, so really can't expect much from them. Yeah, uh, for me, I got the Yankees in first, and I just don't think anyone can catch them when you're talking about a, a pitching staff that you know I think is still underrated. When we talk about the offense that they have, the power that the um, the lineup contains, the bullpen is phenomenal. I, we forget how good the pitching is. Uh, Luis Saravino, he finished third in the Cy Young. Tanaka is a phenomenal starter. Uh, he did have some struggling parts in the beginning of the season, but overall pitched extremely well. You still have Sonny Gray, who's really an ace at the end of the day. Yes, he's going into a much smaller barrel part, but a full season of Gray compared to what you had uh, a season prior, you're much taking that. Uh, obviously, from there, there's a, a little bit more of a dip, but CeCe Sabathia is still CeCe at the end of the day. A top veteran starting pitcher is something every team will take and yeah he's not a guy that's going to go seven eight innings for you anymore but he's still a guy that can give you a good solid five sits or sits in a third easily and at the end of the day it doesn't matter how far he goes because of that bullpen and Jordan Montgomery you know they still have guys in he's not bad he was a spot starter for them last year he and they still have guys in the, the minor leads that can be called up at any time if need be uh, this is a team that's just going to run away straight out with this division. Uh, second, I have the Red Sox. Look, I like their lineup overall. I love the Eduardo Nunez signing. I was hoping he was going to go to the Mets. Uh, but this is a contact hitting team. Uh, they're not going to swing for the fences. Uh, it, it's it's you know not always going to produce runs, unfortunately. Uh, you need to get to the point where it's like this Boston Red Sox team, they're best moment could be considered the Kansas City Royals, where it was, you know, you have to string five, six, seven hits along in a row to have a serious offensive game. Uh, It's really hard to buy into that. Uh, The Royals, I think, were an exception to the rule because of how little they struck out. Uh, To expect that from Boston, it's really tough. But like I said, I have them finishing as definitely a wild card team. They're just too good in the American League. Uh, just against a really tough di- uh, division rival. Uh, Toronto third, but it, it ultimately health is going to be a big question for Toronto. Uh, they don't have much starting pitching. Uh, Jay Happ, Marcus Stroman is a little bit banged up. Aaron Sanchez I like, but you know it's it's not going to be good enough at the end of the day. Uh, the Rays Orioles, it's basically the same thing. Whether they finish fourth or fifth, it really doesn't matter. You, you could see them at best win 70 games each. I don't think either team really gets to that point. Uh, for the Orioles, this has to be a sell year for them. Uh, one last question when it comes to the division, though. Uh, when focusing on the Yankees, we focus a lot on Judge. Uh, then you have Stanton. Then you have Sanchez. But one of the guys we forget is Dwight Bird. He's really the only power left-handed batter in that lineup. So how important and how much of a key do you factor in Dwight Bird to this season for the Yankees? Well, I think Greg Bird's going to play an important factor, obviously, because he wasn't there almost all of last year. You know, he really struggled last year. He had a lot of injuries. And you saw him start to turn it around, especially in playoff time. I think Greg Bird could be a huge factor for the Yankees. He's going to be their fifth, sixth-hole hitter behind these monsters in this lineup. And a lot of people are going to forget about him. I think that's a good thing for Greg Bird. People are going to forget about him, and they're not going to pitch him as carefully as they should. And he should be able to feed off of that. 
Yeah, it's, it will be interesting to see where they put him in the lineup because, you know, Judge has been really that two-hole spot. Obviously, Stanton's three, but do you want to go three straight power righties with then Derry Sanchez following Stanton, or are you going to put Greg Bird in that position to hit behind Stanton? Uh, obviously, these are all guys that can hit a ton of home runs. Uh, it's certainly going to be a fun year for Yankee fans this season. Uh, going into the AL Central, though, uh, the Indians won the division last season by 17 games. They completely dominated the American League Central. Uh, you know, when you look at the National League East, it, I, for me, I view it as the weakest division in baseball for at least the last five years. But, Jose, is the AL Central the weakest American League division? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, when you look at um, the AL West and the AL East, you could point to two or three teams that have a chance of making the playoffs even if it's just for a wild card spot, you can't really do the same for the AL Central. The Indians are the best team clearly in that division by far. The Twins, you know, one year they're great, one year they're not. One year they make the playoffs, one year they lose 100 games. Really, It's a really flip of a coin when it comes to Minnesota, and I feel like I can't trust this team. I think they are on an upward trend, and I think the Twins will compete this year like they did last year, but you just never know with Minnesota. Because, I mean, again, you saw this team go from miss the playoffs by one game, lose 100 games, and now make the wild card game. That's just not a consistent trend for me to believe in when it comes to the Minnesota Twins. When you look at the White Sox, I think the White Sox are almost there when it comes to contending. I mean, they made a lot of good trades. They got back a lot of good pieces. Yohan Moncada being one of them, Michael Kopech. And these guys are panning out. You know, they're having good springs. They have a lot of guys who got hurt this uh, um, during spring training who are a, uh, a couple of their top prospects got hurt. So that might set them back a little bit. But the White Sox, they're not close to contending, but they're closer than you think. Um, but still, they're not going to compete this year. Detroit looks to be in rebuild mode, but it doesn't look like they're fully committing yet, which to me is mind-boggling. I don't think they really have a direction when it comes to their rebuild. And for the Royals, I mean, they still have a decent bullpen. They're going to have decent starting pitching because that's kind of what they feed off of. They brought in Lance Lynn. Um, but, you know, without Hosmer, the face of that franchise, really, without Lorenzo Cain, you know, they brought back Moustakis, but they're still missing a big chunk of their offense um, that's not named Salvador Perez. So they're going to struggle as well, too. So really, to me, the if, I, if you ask me to take a team that's a lock to make the playoffs from this division, it's really only the division winner, which is going to be the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, it, it, this is the weakest division, like you said. There, there's three teams that are in that rebuild phase. Uh, the Tigers, I'm not even going to really focus on in this conversation because they're mainly just trying to cut payroll. Uh, they, they are... I won't want to use the words trying to lose, but they're certainly not trying to win. They're just trying to cut down some salaries. We saw that happen with when they signed Justin Upton and look where he is now. He's on the Angels. You see that with Ian Kinsler, also on the Angels. So a lot of it's just trying to cut salary. And that was one of those things where we were hearing Michael Fulmer's in trade talk, and that's their top starter, only so that teams would take a bad contract with it, like a Jordan Zimmerman. So it's really bad for Detroit. The White Sox, like you said, they're rebuilding. They've traded away almost everything in the world to try and rebuild that they had. Uh, do they look good? Yeah, in a couple of years, definitely. Not right now. They're still a little bit of a while to go. Uh, the Royals, you know, they're losing pieces. We knew this was going to come. It was a matter of which ones do you keep. Ultimately, it's going to be a long year for Kansas City. I like with Merrifield, I, I I like how the team is still uh, decent enough, but overall, I think still the only reason the Royals are going to be a little bit better in this division is because they have the White Sox and the Tigers in the division with them. Uh, the Twins, like you said, 
they're improving. They were a playoff team last year, but the year before that, they lost 100 games. They certainly have a better lineup this year and a better pitching staff, but overall, yeah, this is the weakest division in the American League, and I think that's by far. Uh, With this division, though, two guys stand out to me on player-wise, Mike Moustakis and Lance Lynn. Both of them really signed one-year deals. Moustakis more of an option for his second year, but Jose, how silly was it that these two guys had to wait so long just to wind up with one-year deals? Well, I think it's silly for Lance Lynn. I mean, Lance Lynn, I think, is a guy who's still a really good pitcher. Again, really wanted the Mets to try and go after him um, before they signed Jason Vargas um, because he is that veteran pitcher that, yes, he had Tommy John in recent years, but to me, he's one of the more durable pitchers on the market that you know it's going to start 30-plus games. He could be a number two for you in rotation, or he could be a number four or five for you. He's a very versatile pitcher. So for Lance Lynn, I was kind of upset to see him out there that long and, and end up with only a one-year deal. But hey, if he hits the free agent market next year, um, he might be able to land a long-term deal if he has a good uh, good season this year um, to bounce back. I thought it was silly for Mike Moustakis because for Mike Moustakis, he could have been signed somewhere else already if he just lowered his price. Um, I don't know how you feel about Moustakis, but I don't think he's worth $100 million. So for me, you know, you could have taken a one-year 17-point-something qualifying offer, but now you end up with, what, $6-point-something million? So to me... It's silly for Moustakis, but it's more silly on his part for asking for the moon when really he's not worth it. I think only the problem with Mike Moustakis is he doesn't walk. Uh, he's a great average guy, but he also doesn't strike out. Uh, five players, I think, last season hit over 30 home runs and had less than uh, 100 strikeouts. I think the number's even lower. And those guys are like Mike Moustakis, Joey Votto, Mike Trout. Uh, this is the type of class Moustakis is in. Uh, there's, he had 38 home runs last season. Uh, I, I'm very high on him, and he's still a very good defensive player. He's not gold glove material, but he's good enough to hold his own very well at third base. Uh, to say there's no room on so many different teams that could use a batter like him uh, it was really silly uh, to look at. But, you know, great steals by both teams at the end of the day credit them. If the Royals take Moustakis, they struggle, they can look to sell him, and it turns out into from a $6 million investment to actually getting some pieces back. Lance Lynn, I think that's a phenomenal signing, especially when Irvin Santana is supposed to miss at least the first month of the season, so it's a good replacement for him. Uh, for the Twins, you know, looking at their starting rotation, it's Irvin Santana, of course he's going to miss some dams. Jose Barrios, Jake Odorosi, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, Phil Hughes, uh, naming six guys in a five-man rotation, but, you know, they'll have stuff to work with. But it's a lot better than what they appeared last year. So do you think the Twins, when they made the second wild card, are good enough to make the playoffs again? I do think they're good enough to make the playoffs again. It just depends on which, you know, which Minnesota Twins team shows up. Because like we said before, you know, this is a team that made the, almost made the playoffs, lost 100 games, then made the playoffs last year. That, to me, is too much inconsistency. But I definitely think they're good enough just based off talent alone. I think Byron Buxton's going to take another step forward this year. Um, is Miguel Sano going to be there by opening day? I don't know, because he didn't have that domestic violence charge over his head. Um, will he see a suspension? We don't know, because that, that whole investigation that's still going on with him and what happened with the domestic violence case. Um, so there's still a lot of question marks around this team. But based off potential, I think the Twins are good enough to compete for a wild card spot. Will they get it? That's an entirely different question. I think it really depends on how well this rotation does. And, you know, for the Indians, yes, they lost Carlos Santana as he signed with the Phillies, but uh, 
they gained Yonder Alonso, just as good of a first baseman uh, with good power. Uh, this is really, I mean, if we're going to compare it to March Madness, this isn't like Buffalo upsetting Arizona in in a situation where one of these four teams can upset the Indians. This is really going to be like if a 15 seed or a 16 seed knocked off the one seed or a two seed uh, in March Madness. Uh, obviously, I think that you have the Indians winning the division, but from there on, where do you see it going? Yeah, in first place, obviously, we have the Cleveland Indians. They're going to win the division um, flat out. I wouldn't be surprised if they went over 100 games this year either, um, just because I could see them really beating up on their own division alone with how many times they play um, the rest of those four teams. In second place, I have the Twins. I do not have them making the wild card this year, although I think they're going to be very close. Um, again, I just you never know with this team. They're so inconsistent, and you really can't have an opinion on them until they actually start playing games, which is why... I feel like the Twins, I'm not comfortable saying that they're going to get a wild card spot, but I do have them finishing in second because, to me, they are the second-best team in this division. That's just how it shakes out. And third, I actually have the Royals. Um, again, I think the Royals are kind of a lot like the Blue Jays where it's like, yeah, they might be good enough to compete, but they're also they're, 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 not, they're good enough to not finish in fourth or fifth, but they're also not good enough to win first or second in the division either. So um, for the Royals, they'll be around all year long, but eventually they'll fade out by midsummer and end up like, with a 500 record or even below that as well, too. Fourth place, I have the White Sox, actually. Again, I think they're, they're getting a little bit better year by year. Are they ready to contend? Not yet. But I think if a lot of the top prospects didn't get hurt, they probably would have been a lot closer to a third-place finish than a fourth-place finish. But I still have the White Sox in fourth and in dead last. I have the Tigers. Like we said, no direction, just dumping players. They're probably going to look to move more guys at the deadline. Crazy that they're trying to trade Michael Fulmer, who's one of their best pitchers right now. But... You know, that just goes to show you that they really don't have a direction in terms of where do we go with this quote-unquote rebuild. Yeah, for me, I'm looking at this division, and there's three teams in my mind that I don't even see have the possibility of winning 75 games this season. And that's the Royals, White Sox, Tigers. It, it's it's just out of the question on how weak the division is. Uh, this should be an easy one for the Indians to run away with. Uh, the Twins... You know, I, I think they have the better chance of making the playoffs than the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they're going to have to beat up on this division. They're going to have to play extremely well against the Indians because they can't drop too many games to them. Uh, obviously, you get some luck factor in the fact that your division is so weak. But, you know, there are still a decent amount of question marks when it comes to the Minnesota Twins. And I, at the end of the day, I view this team as just slightly above 500. And I don't think that's good enough to get themselves uh, into the playoffs for that second wild card spot. So I also don't have the Twins making the playoffs. Uh, so that's where I'm looking at it. So it's the Indians, Twins, and it really doesn't matter to me from there. I, I'll just throw it up as saying the Royals, White Sox, and Tigers, because really it could be any one of those three just by a game or two differential at the end of the day. And I don't think anyone's going to argue that one. Uh Looking at the AL West, though, it seems like we both have two teams coming out of that division. Uh, but I want to start with the Angels as a topic because you know they have a lot of different moves they made this offseason. You know they re-signed Justin Upton, uh, they added Ian Kinsler, they added Zach Cozart, who made an All-Star game. Uh, they're taking a little bit of, uh, I think he's going to play majority third base in uh, for the Angels, and you know their big acquisition was adding Shohei Otani. So, Jose, how well do you think Shohei Otani will do in the MLB, and where do you see him having better success, as a hitter or as a pitcher? 
Well, I think his better success will come as a pitcher. Um, you know, I know it's only spring training, but he did not look that great in the batter's box um, when batting up. I believe some uh, MLB announcer did say he looked like a high school hitter and never seen a good curveball. Um, a lot of these guys were freezing him on the curve. And, you know, that's, that may take a little time, honestly. And you know what? When he gets to the MLB, he might not be able to do both, honestly. Because, you know, in an MLB, it's important to focus on one. You know, it's hard, it's hard enough to focus on one task. Imagine trying to focus on both. So I think as the season progresses, you might see Otani really just stick to pitching. And the Angels might make him stick to pitching as well, too, even though he probably will start doing both in the beginning of the year. Um, but in terms of overall success, I think he'll do okay. Um, in spring, I mean, we still need to see more from him. But in spring training alone, he looked pretty good on the pitching side of things. Hitting-wise, it just wasn't there for me. Um, I didn't see, you know, a whole lot to be, you know, optimistic about. But again, it is spring training and it's still early, so maybe he could turn it around. But honestly, I could really see him sticking to just pitching as the season goes along. Yeah, um, Otani, I, I think he's going to be, I'm going to say, a very good starter. He's, he's obviously going to be on a different routine than most starters. You don't really know what his set plan is going to be. But I feel when he gets on the mound, he is going to be a dominant starting pitcher. This is a guy that reminds me of guys like Tanaka and Yu Darvish and has the skill to be a very successful starting pitcher. Uh, The aspects of hitting, you know, he's 2 for 18 during sprint. Uh, That's 1-1 as an average but six strikeouts. You know, are we expecting him to light up the board? Uh against major league starting pitchers? No, we're not. Uh, I don't think we should be. I I think if he spent maybe a year in the minor leagues, then maybe he could adjust to it. But for him to go out right off the bat when he's not going to get pretty much every day at bats as a a, everyday hitter, and then at a certain point, I mean, when do you cut the leash and say, hey, you know what, it just doesn't seem like it's working in the batter's bots for you. Why don't we just keep you uh, on the mound for good? Because there's going to come a point where he's going to struggle a month or two or three, and you're not going to see true success. I do think he's got power. I do think he's got the ability to hit. But I don't think you're going to see consistent hitting from him. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Angels handle him, especially when he struggles. Uh, But, you know, looking at the rest of the starting pitching now, you have Garrett Richards, you have Matt Shoemaker, you have... Have Tyler um, stayed. The real question is going to be for this team: Can they stay healthy? Uh, if healthy, do you see this Angels team as a true contender? Yeah, and, and this is going back to what you were saying before: the names that they added, right? And I feel like every year the Angels try and make a splash. They try and add someone. They try and pay big money to someone. We saw it when they signed Albert Pujols. We saw it when they signed Josh Hamilton. But to, to me, that's always a knock against the Angels. They always want to make a lot of noise but they don't do anything during the regular season with that noise. But I think this year might be different. I like that they brought back Justin Upton. I like that they traded for him last year. I think Pujols had a very good year last year. I think Pujols understands now that, hey, I'm not what I used to be, but I still have some left in the tank. I think Pujols has made a lot of adjustments to be where he's at right now, and the Angels can still get some good value out of Albert Pujols and some good production as well, too. You know you have the MVP ready, Mike Trout, always ready, always doing fantastic things. You know, Ian Kinsler, I'm not his biggest fan personally, but he is going to be an upgrade at second base for them. Zach Cozart's a very good hitter. You still have Simmons who's becoming a good hitter. And really, like you said, 
can this team stay healthy? Because this team last year, don't forget, the Angels were in it for a while. They were right there with the Astros, with the Mariners, in that division for the West. They were they were going play. They were at one point they were even in first place solely. So, you know, this is an Angels team that really took a step forward on their bullpen last year and their pitching when some of their big names were down. So I do have some faith in this Angels squad in general. Obviously, this team is better, especially when someone like Garrett Richards is healthy. So if this team is healthy, I think they definitely could be a playoff team. But again, the big question is health. And with so many teams, as we know, as Met fans, health is the number one key when talking about these things. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting season for the Angels. I certainly think they they have the potential to be a wild card team. Uh, it's going to be tough to compete with the Astros in this division, but they have all the right pieces. And you know, it also starts with Mike Trout. Mike Trout played, I think, 115 games last season. He finished fourth inning MVP. Uh, at the end of the day, if you get 150 plus games from Mike Trout, you're certainly uh, good enough to be a playoff team, in my mind. And that was him years prior when they really didn't have the starting pitching and the talent that they had around Mike Trout as well. So uh, I'm certainly interested on how the Angels will do and uh, very interested on Shohei Otani. So I like that, you know, LA is keeping it interesting in the fact that you have the Dodgers who made it to the World Series, ran away with the division, even with the Diamondbacks and the Rockies in the division. And what do the Angels do? They see the Dodgers doing so well, and they strike back. They add a bunch of pieces. They get one of the biggest acquisitions in the offseason with Shohei Otani. It, it creates a whole new market for you. So I love that the Angels are, are not just uh, giving up and saying, hey, the Dodgers, it's it's your town. It's your city. And they're doing the exact opposite they're looking for to even compete. Um for another team in the division, though, the Texas Rangers. You know, this is a team that I think really fell off last season. Uh, but what's interesting about the Rangers is they're really starting to consider the idea of a six-man rotation. Uh, to put it in, they have Cole Hamels, they have Matt Moore, Doug Fister, Martin Perez, Mike Miner, and Matt Bush. And really, Miner and Bush are they're trying to convert into starters. And Martin Perez hasn't really been able to stay too healthy of late. And this is really the one team we're hearing. You would have figured it was the Angels, but it's really the Texas Rangers that are considering a six-man rotation. Uh, Cole Hamill's obviously not a fan of it, but Jose, do you believe in the idea of having a six-man rotation? Uh, you know, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Um, I feel like it's a, if it's a very young rotation um, that you're trying to take care of and that you're going to have an innings limit on, then yeah, go for it. So, like for example, something like Baltimore, right? where obviously they're going to have a lot of young pitchers filling their spots. I'm okay with a six-man rotation. Um, but with Texas, you know, you have a lot of guys on this pitching staff that, you know, they they can handle a regular five-day stress period. You know, like Cole Hamels doesn't need a six-day rotation because at the end of the day, that's just going to mess up Cole Hamels. Now, again, they have Mike Miner and they have Matt Bush who they're trying to convert. That's who the six-man rotation is probably really going to help. But guys like Martin Perez, that's not going to help him. Cole Hamels, it's not going to help him. Um, I just I don't see a lot of benefits when it comes to the six-man rotation, especially when you have a lot of veteran pitchers on your staff. And for the Rangers, I feel like doing a six-man rotation is almost like a sign saying, hey, we're not really expecting to compete this year. It's more of just to develop some pitchers here and there and try and save our guys from overtaxing themselves because I know a lot of teams that are trying to compete, they're not using a six-man rotation. 
you know, it's it's interesting to try it out, but I I'm not a f- fan of it when you have guys that don't need it. So when the Mets were, and they're a good example, when the Mets were so injury prone, uh, you had like Noah Syndergaard was banged up, the drama's banged up, Matt Harvey every time is banged up, uh, Stephen Matz, you never it's okay. Then you can consider it. And when you have like the idea of okay, the Mets had like seven starters last year, or seven starters the year prior to that, and a lot of these guys are young kids, and you don't want them throwing two hundred innings, and you want to put them on injury uh, limitations. By all means, I agree with that. But this is a team where it's like Cole Hamels is a two hundred inning guy. Matt Moore can easily throw a hundred and seventy five innings. Doug Fister, obviously, he's been around more of just going to every team. But he can always give you a good, solid outing consistently. Uh, if you're really trying to convert two guys, uh, a simple way to do it always in my mind is, you know, have one guy throw four innings, have the other guy throw four innings, or, or meet him in the middle 5-4, or three sits, depending on how they're doing in the game. There, there's different ways to handle that. And two guys is just not enough to say, hey, let's go to a sits-man rotation. Because we have Matt Bush, who can throw 100 miles per hour in a game, but really should only be throwing about 97 for consistency, it doesn't really make sense to me. They don't have like, the guys behind it prospect-wise to say, hey, let's do it. And I agree with Paul Hamels. I mean, you're in a situation where it looks like, hey, the team's going to be a little bit of a mess. That a lot of young players on the roster looks good, but... A six-man rotation at the end of the day, when you could have Cole Hamill start for you, essentially, instead of that six-man for that day, I think you're missing out on that. Because if you're cutting Cole Hamill's five starts, you're taking your ace out for that many st- It just, that part doesn't work. Uh, so I don't agree with it for the, uh, you know, for the Texas Rangers. If you said the Angels were considering it, sure, because we just went over three of their guys that can't stay healthy. And then you have Shohei Otani, who's normally been in that one-start-a-week program. That's four guys in your rotation. You could be like, hey, you know what? Maybe we could consider it because of the entire core that we have. But the Rangers just, it doesn't make sense to me just on their core aspects of who they have in the rotation. Uh, You know, for the Seattle Mariners, though, you know, they made some nice moves. They added D. Gordon. Uh, they obviously have a great lineup around them. There's a lot of health questions when it comes to the Seattle Mariners. And do you feel like they addressed all their issues in the offseason? Uh, no, I did not. I love the D. Gordon trade. Um, I felt like they got back a good athletic outfielder who we know he's making a conversion to center field. He seems to have made that conversion uh, very effortlessly. Um, I think he has definitely a lot of speed. Um, you know, he's going to be the leadoff guy in that lineup. And I feel like that's what the Mariners are missing. The Mariners are missing that on-base guy to get on base for guys like Segura and Cano and for Nelson Cruz to come in and knock him in. And that's what D. Gordon's going to do. D. Gordon's going to bring speed to this outfield, which is what they need. But he also brings speed to the lineup, which is also what they needed as well, too. So the Mariners did a good thing by getting D. Gordon. The problem is, as we were talking about injuries, they didn't do nothing to address the injury-prone rotation. Felix Hernandez is always hurt, and he's already hurt. He's probably going to be ready for opening day. James Paxson is always hurt. Had a phenomenal year last year up until what he, what, Torres pectoral? I don't know if what, his, what his status is before opening day, but he's always injury-prone as well, too. 
Uh, is Iwakuma still on the Mariners? Probably. He's always getting hurt as well, too. I never see him anymore. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, this is a rotation that can never stay healthy. And that's one of the reasons that separates the Mariners from teams like the Astros. And, you know, when the Rangers were at the top of their game, that's what always stopped the Mariners from progressing forward. We always see the Mariners almost make the playoffs. They finish one game out, two games out of the wild card. Why? Because they just didn't get hot enough at the right time or they don't have enough pitching. Um, the Mariners did nothing to address the depth of their pitching. That way, when these guys do go down, they don't have anybody to take their spot. And again, I love the moves the Mariners make on offense. They always make great moves on the offensive side of the ball. But when it comes to their pitching, they never take the full step forward. They rely too much on guys like Felix Hernandez, which is not a bad thing because King Felix is an ace. But guess what? King Felix hasn't been healthy for an entire season, maybe since going back for the past couple of years. Uh, um, it's interesting because Sierra hamstring probable for the start of the season. Robinson Cano, hamstring questionable for the start of the season. Nelson Cruz, quad reps, questionable for the start of the season. I mean, that's the core of your offense. That's two, three, four. <laughs> that, that's the middle of your lineup right there. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, he was playing great in the beginning of the year. He got hurt, uh, I think, around like June of last year. Obviously, you, you covered a lot of the starters. Uh, Felix Hernandez, uh, Rasmo Ramirez, the guy they signed, strained right lat muscle, possible for April. Uh, another guy, uh, questionable for start of the season. This is going to be a long year for the Mariners. It's not because they don't have the talent. They certainly have a good enough lineup. One through six, this is a very tough offensive lineup to go through. These are all guys that have the ability to hit 300 or 290. And most of these guys are phenomenal hitters. And it's just the health is going to be a big question for me. Can Nelson Cruz stay healthy? Can Robinson Chano stay healthy? Sid wound up on the DL a couple times last season. Obviously, the starting pitcher, and they just did not address enough issues for me to say this team's going to be really able to contend against you know the Houston Astros, who are already one of the best teams in the MLB coming off the World Series, and you have the Angels, who are a much improved team. And if you're the Mariners, your main goal was to get Shohei Otani. They didn't do that. And then they really didn't do anything other than that. So I I don't like how the Mariners took the approach of not doing anything else. The only thing I did like is they added Ichiro. And maybe Ichiro can add to his hit list number and try and get a little bit higher on the all-time hits leader uh, list. So that was one of the fun things for the, uh, the Mariners. But overall, just not enough for me. Uh, for the Houston Astros, you know, they improved even more this offseason. I think we saw that a lot of these phenomenal teams do so, and the Astros definitely. This is a team coming off the World Series and 101 wins last season, and now you have a full year of Justin Verlander. You're also going to have Garrett Cole in the rotation. Is this the best rotation in the American League? To me, I think it is, hands down. Again, I mean, you had, you know, Dallas Keigel. Definitely a Cy Young candidate. You also had, um, you know, you have Justin Verlander who really revived his career with that trade to Houston, right? For, for a while, we were saying, oh, Verlander might be done. He's not the same Verlander. Comes over to the Astros who are in a playoff hunt, a playoff chase, and all of a sudden becomes Verlander from 2009 when he was winning Cy Young and MVP. He looks rejuvenated. You know, Lance McCullers is no slouch. You know, they still have all these other guys too. You know, Charlie Morton, who's a good veteran pitcher. 
And then all of a sudden, they felt like they had the need <laughs> to add another pitcher. They add Garrett Cole, who had a bad year last year. Don't get me wrong, but he's still an ace on a lot of other teams. He's still the first guy out there on every other rotation in baseball, most likely. Um, but, you know, you add a guy like that for the Astros, again, who didn't need help offensively, but you add a good pitcher now. And again, they keep applying the pressure to the rest of the division. You got to love it. The Astros are not satisfied with, you know, keeping the same team over. They might have that World Series hangover. I mean, that's all superstitions when it comes down to it, but you just never know. But when you add a guy like Garrett Cole, it sends a message to the rest of the team saying, hey, we're not done yet. Keep working hard. We want another one. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. Uh, their bullpen, uh, obviously Ken Giles, not everybody loves. Uh, certainly, I, I think if they can do anything during the year, it's at a closer. But they really do trust Ken Giles. Uh, Chris Devensky just missed, I think, the All-Star game last year when he was well-deserved. They they added some nice pieces. But one of the things when it comes to starting pitching, Brad Peacock. You know, this is a guy that made 21 starts last year for the Astros. He went 10-2 and with a 3.32 ERA. And here's the incredible part also. In these 21 starts, he had over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. He didn't even have a shot at this starting rotation of the Houston Astros this offseason. That, to me, is incredible because if you look at those numbers for anybody else, you think, oh, you know, he's at least got a shot to be the fifth starter. He's at least got a shot to be in the rotation or he's already guaranteed to be in the rotation. He's not even near the starting pitching rotation of the Houston Astros. That's how good the Astros' uh, starting pitching is. They clearly, in my mind, have the best starting pitching uh, rotation in the American League. I don't know if it's good enough to beat some of the National League uh, starting rotations. But overall, you're talking about three aces. You still have a great four starter in Lance McCullers. Charlie Malt Morton played phenomenal in the World Series. And this rotation is, you know, it, it could be, it's easily the best in the American League. It could be the best in the MLB this season. And to add into the fact that they have, what, three of the best players Per their uh, for their positions in like George Springer, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa. This is a phenomenal lineup. Uh, but that is one of the questions, though. Uh, I, I think they're going to run away with this division, but are you concerned of uh, teams coming off a high of a winning a World Series and then struggling the next season? Uh, basically, any San Francisco Giants team, uh, for an example, to look at. Yeah, I mean, and you saw it last year, too, with the Cubs. The Cubs won the World Series, and Yes, the Cubs still made the playoffs last year, but did the Cubs look like the same team that won the World Series a year prior? No, they didn't. I think definitely, you know, there is that high um, that you come down from that the teams do suffer. I don't know what it is exactly. You know, I'm no psychologist when it comes down to that kind of stuff, but I do think there is an emotional high that um, that kind of gets to you when the season starts. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to go finish in last place, but it is possible that they might not win 100 games like they did last year for the Astros. They might win close to 90 or something like that. Um, I also think the Astros are still hungry. I think the Astros are extremely pumped up that the Yankees made the moves that they made. You saw Alex Bregman on Twitter, um, you know, still saying, hey, you still have to go through H-Town, and stuff like that. So I think little things like that motivate you again to go out there and perform if you're the Astros. But also, I think this is such a young team and a young core. Kind of like the Cubs, they'll still be hungry when they go out there. But I do think you'll see them decline a little bit 
Um, just not like so much where it's like they're going to miss the playoffs completely. Yeah, and at the end of the day, this is a team that improved. A lot of times we don't always talk about the teams that you know improve. They just run with the same lineups. Uh, this is an Astros team that improved at the end of the day, so they should easily take their division. Uh, but for you, give it to us. We got first to fifth in the division. Well, first place, I have the defending champs, the Houston Astros. Again, like we said, this is their division to win. They may not run away with it completely. Um, I could see them winning 90-plus games, but um, I still think the Astros are going to come out on top of this division. They're too good not to. In second place, and I, I actually have the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and I have them taking the second wildcard spot as well. Um, I usually don't throw my faith in the Angels, no pun intended. But again, I really like this lineup now. I like that Pujols kind of found himself again in understanding who he is at age, whatever, how old uh, age he is. You know, post 40 um, now for, I'm sorry, post 30 now for Albert Pujols. Hey, it's not I that old just, yet. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Sorry, I thought they signed him 15 years ago. But, you know, post 30, I feel like Albert Pujols knows who he is now and he's comfortable with it. And you're seeing him kind of come back a little bit and being that home run hitter that he once was. He's not going to hit 30, 40 like he used to. But if he can give you 20 home runs and still hit close to 300 batting average, if you're the Angels, you're going to take that from our pools. And plus, he's still a great team leader, too. You still have Mike Trout, obviously. He's Mike Trout. But I really like the additions of Kinsler and Cozart to that infield. I feel like defensively, it really solidifies it. But those are guys, those guys are also pretty good hitters, too. Um, again, when healthy, Garrett Richards is one of the top pitchers in the game, in my opinion. I'm excited to see Otani this year. So overall, I do have faith in the Angels to get the second wild card spot. Not win the division, but I think they'll still hang around, compete with the Astros, but eventually they'll settle for a wild card spot. Third place, I have the Mariners. I really want the Mariners to take a wild card spot. I feel like I pick them all the time to get a wild card spot. And again, I love the trade for D. Gordon. I feel like it gives this lineup an extra boost. So many injuries, though, to start the year. And again, so many injuries to their pitching staff in general that haven't even happened yet that we know is going to happen. Because based on history, this is a rotation that's extremely fragile. And they really did nothing to address the depth of the rotation as well, too. So in fourth and fifth place, in fourth, I have the Texas Rangers. Um, again, not excited about anything else that they've done recently. Uh, you know, the six-man rotation is a little bit upsetting to me, especially when you have guys like Cole Hamels, like we said. You know, guys that you don't need the six-man rotation for, uh, Matt Moore. Uh, and again, this offense really disappeared last year, too. So I'm wondering, you know, which offense is going to show up. You know, you still have guys like Joey Gallo, who's going to hit a tremendous amount of home runs. You still have guys like, um, you know, Adrian Beltre, who's still going to put some things together. So I really feel like Texas, you know, they're you know they're kind of an unknown offense right now. We don't know what they're going to get out of them, but they're still not going to be a team that's going to win this division. They're so far away from the Houston Astros right now. It's not even funny. And last but not least, you have the Oakland A's. Not much you can say about them. They're just the Oakland A's. Uh, I know that sounds terrible, yeah, but it's the truth. Uh, same thing. Uh, I actually have the same division uh, in this one. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's the Astros' division to take. Uh, they're an easy pick, and I think they're going to wind up with the best record in the American League. I don't know if the best record in baseball, but certainly have the ability to get there as well. Uh, the Angels, I have finishing second. They are my second wild card team. Health is going to be the big question because if the starting pitching can't stay healthy, if Garrett Richards, Matt Shoemaker, Tyler Staz cannot stay healthy, I don't know if this team can actually hold on to that second wild card team without the starting pitching. I think even without the starting pitching, they're second, uh, they're second place in this division. 
but the health is going to be the main question when it comes to the Angels. Otherwise, this should be an Angels team that looks and says, hey, you know, we may not take the division, but we're easily a wild card team with an ace starter that can win a one-game wild card game for us, and we can get right into the playoffs into the next series just right off the bat with that. And when you have Mike Trout, it always helps at the end of the day. Mike Trout missed 40 games. I think that was the difference on whether or not the Angels made it to the playoffs last season. They just missed out. Uh, I don't think that will be the case this year. Uh, For third in the division, I'm going to go with uh, Texas, not Seattle. Uh, Texas just has a little bit more of a starting pitching, a younger core of offense. And, and, you know, I'm going to give it to health. I'm going to, I'm going to bet on Seattle not being able to stay healthy and it's going to result in them losing games. Either way, if they stay healthy or not, I don't think they're good enough to make it to the playoffs. I have Seattle at fourth. And last but not least is Oakland. I think Oakland is just, again, a small market team trying to rebuild, trying to get pieces going. Uh, but ultimately it's, it takes time. Uh, at the end of the day. Uh, so with that, I have some fun AL questions for you. All right. So last season, 11 players hit 38 home runs. Of those 11 players, 10 of them currently play in the American League. So does the National League have a shot at all of leading the MLB in home runs? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you took the guy who hit, who hit the most last year in the NL and you put him in the American League. Um so, I mean, really, honestly, you know, that, that's, you really can't justify that. Maybe someone breaks out this year in the National League, but I highly doubt it. And, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that either. I think, you know, the National League is just more of a contact style of play. Um, you know, and that's just that's kind of the world we live in, <laughs> where the American League is always known for the more prolific uh, heavy hitters. I didn't, uh, for me, yeah, no way. The Cody Bellinger hit 39. He's the only uh, one that's in the National League over 38 last season. I'd love to say Paul Goldsmith can do it, but there's just not much to say. Uh, there's at least four players that have the ability of hitting over 40 easily in the American League. Uh, so with that in mind, though, who leads the MLB in homers for you? Well, to me, I think it's going to be Giancarlo Stan. I feel like he's going to play 81 games in Yankee Stadium. And, you know, he played 81 games in Miami last year in that giant park, and look what he did to the ball. Um, you know, you're looking at – I don't want to be unrealistic here, but, again, you're looking at another season where he might actually be able to reach 60 this time or maybe even go more than that, honestly. And I'm not joking around about that because look at the parks he's going to play in in the AL East. Baltimore can produce quite a few home runs. Tampa Bay, that park is kind of small as well, too. Toronto also produces a lot of home runs. And, you know, Fenway Park, too. For a right-handed hitter, that could produce a lot of home runs too. So you're looking at five parks, including the one of his own, where you know that's almost 100 games now, where he's going to play in home run hitting friendly ballparks. So I think Stan has a realistic shot of getting 60 plus this year, honestly. And I'm I'm going to go with Chicago as well. And you just take a look at the five guys: uh, Judge, Martin, uh, JD Martinez, Chris Davis from Oakland, and Joey Gallo. And by far, Stanton is the best hitter of those five uh, that hit over 40 last season. And, you know, another factor is, like, look who we had a verse in the National League. The Mets have talented starting pitchers. The the Washington Nationals, you're talking about having to face Matt Scherzer, Steven Stratzberg, Gio Gonzalez. The toughest starters in the American League East are in uh, Boston, and they're lefties to begin with. And the Rays are good starting pitcher when it comes to Chris Archer, but it very quickly falls off when you get to the behind 
uh, to the back end of the rotation. Baltimore's got nobody in the world, and Toronto, and at the end of the day, doesn't have enough to say. You know, they got guys that are really going to fool Giancarlo Stanton after the pitching that he saw for you know his career in the NL East. So, I also have Stanton hitting the most home runs in the MLB. Uh, but with that. Who is your MVP and who is your Cy Young? Well, for MVP, I'm actually going to give it to Francisco Lindor this year. I think he's actually going to take a giant step forward. I know Mike Trout is always the safe bet if you're a betting man. Um, but I think Francisco Lindor, you know, you saw him take giant steps in the last couple of years. He's energetic. His charisma brings a lot to the table for the Indians. He's a good contact hitter, good average hitter. And I think, you know, when you're talking about most valuable I think, you know, where would the Indians be without a guy like Lindor sometimes? I really feel like Francisco Lindor is going to be a key part to what the Indians are going to do this year as they make their march towards the playoffs again. And for Cy Young, I'm actually going to give it to Justin Verlander. I mean, you're looking at a different Justin Verlander here, Nick. You're looking at the old Justin Verlander, extremely rejuvenated, extremely confident again. Not that he ever lost confidence, but I feel like he, it feels like he kind of just gave up when he was in Detroit, and I don't blame him. You know, that team was going nowhere. They had no direction, and it's easy to lose your confidence when you're over there. But again, he looks excited to be back. I think Verlander, you know, trading him to the Houston Astros is probably the worst thing that could have happened to the rest of the American League because it looks like Verlander is back again with a vengeance. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with a little bit safer. I, I love the uh, the different ones. Um, but, you know, my child at the end of the day for me for MVP. He played 115 games last season and he finished fourth in the MVP voting. In the previous four years, he was one or two in the MVP and because he played over 150 games. I easily think he plays 150 games. The offense uh, around him isn't nearly what it is against the Yankees offense. Uh, maybe that also will play a factor in it. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy that's going to beat most of the players in batting average, still be one of the top run scorers, still be one of the top on base percentage guys, RBI guys, home run guys, ability to steal, defensive gold glover. It, it is. There's a reason why he's going to be, I think, one of the greatest of all time. He's been proving that the last since he stepped onto the um, into the MLB, and it's hard to pick against him any single year. And I think I've picked him every single year after his rookie season to finish it to win the MVP because it's just you know, like you said, it's the safer pick at the end of the day. Uh, my Cy Young, I'm going to give it to Chris Sale. Uh, Chris Sale's another guy for the last like five years. He finished second last year in the Cy Young. He's finished nothing less than sixth uh, over, I think, the last four or five years. Uh, so I think he's going to finally get it. I mean, this is a guy that had 300-plus strikeouts last season with a 290 ERA. I think if he lowers that ERA a little bit more, he's still going to pitch extremely well. It's a very weak division uh, that he can take um, – you know, take advantage of, and Corey Kluber had to do a lot to win the Cy Young, and I don't think uh, Chris Sale has to do as much this season to win the Cy Young. I think he's going to have a phenomenal year, lead the MLB in strikeouts, especially in the American League, uh, and, you know, it's it's going to be a fun year. Uh, once again, I think the five teams that we have are all the same at the moment. Uh, again, we're going to be doing the National League, uh, on our Nets podcast, as well as World Series winners, playoff winners, uh, we'll break it down a little bit more. But for right now, we have the Yankees uh, winning the division, the Red Sox making the number one wild card for me. I think the same for you, Jose. Uh, Indians in a landslide in their division because it's so weak. 
Astros taking the division as well as, you know, it's hard to pitch against one of these three powerhouses. And then the Angels are the our second wildcard team. So it's interesting that we got a lot of similarities going on uh, in the American League. Probably that would be a little bit different when we get to the National League as well. Uh, but again, next week on episode 26, we'll be talking about the National League. Uh, going to always... When we talk our topics, we have to do Beard Bat and we have to do Dude and Dunce of the Week. So in our Beard Bat, I only have two today. 1969, the Boston Bruins score an NHL record eight goals in one period. And then 1996, Mike Tyson TKO's Frank Bruno in the third round to gain the heavyweight title. And of course, our Dude of the Week, we've been talking a little bit about March Madness. Uh... It's got to be Rob Dre, 39 points for the Houston Hooters. Houston made only eight shots in the second half. He made seven of them, including the final layup with one second left to go as Houston beat San Diego State 67-65. to And Dre may never have to buy another drink in Houston ever again after having 39 points. And uh, Again, another great way of uh, for March Madness. Uh, for my final four, I know I didn't. I don't know if I got into that. I have Virginia, Gonzaga, Villanova, and Duke. Uh, hopefully, Virginia even know they lost the sixth man of the year in the ACC. So it will be interesting uh, for the final four. But as always, with Duke of the Week, Jose, who is our dunce of the week? Well, speaking of March Madness, our dunce of the week is the entire Arizona team from last night. <laughs> I'm sorry, you cannot be a fourth seed and lose. To the Buffalo Bulls. Who are the Buffalo Bulls? I had to double take and refresh the page because I thought it said Buffalo Bills. I was like, when did the Bills start playing basketball? It's unreal. It's unreal. Don't get me wrong. Give full credit to the Bulls. They took care of business. They came out and played. But if you're Arizona, you cannot not show up like you did last night in the first round of March Madness. Embarrassing, and they should be ashamed of themselves. My dunce of the week, Arizona, ladies and gentlemen. Close second, LeBron James for yelling at Tyron Lue yesterday. But I'll save that for another day. For my final four, I also have Virginia. I have UNC, Purdue, and Kansas. And I actually have Kansas winning it all, Nick. I, I have Virginia winning it all. Uh, it will certainly be interesting. I don't think there will be the only 13 seed to win. I, I have uh, both 12s winning today. And then also college uh, beating Auburn as well. So I'm looking at a 12 versus a 13 in my bracket. I'm sure my bracket's going to go to hell by the end of today, but it's certainly going to be exciting to watch. As always, enjoy March Madness, and thank you for listening to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 25. I'm Nick Sarasso. And I'm talking Beard, Jose Rivera. I once again, uh, thank you for listening. Podcast episode 26 coming out next week, probably around Thursday or Friday next week. And enjoy and have a great weekend as you're listening to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 25. Are you still mixing station gas and oil for your string trimmer, leaf blower, or chainsaw? Eliminate the mess and the guesswork with True Fuel, the original pre-mixed two-cycle fuel. True Fuel is ethanol-free and precision-engineered for small engines, improving performance, and extending the life of your outdoor power equipment. And True Fuel is available for both two- and four-cycle engines. Empower your equipment with True Fuel. Available at your local home and garden center today. Using an overpriced trash bag? Pricey, pricey, pricey! A bag that breaks? Whippy, whippy, whippy! Or a smelly bag? Stinky, stinky, stinky! You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. 
always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty! It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy! Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty!